wanna hear about it Every single one's got a story to tell Everyone knows about it From the Queen of England to the House of Hope And if I catch you coming back my way I'm gonna sell it to you And that ain't what you want to hear But that's what I'll do And the feelings coming from my phone to satisfy the home. I'm gonna wait to die far from this opera for forevermore. I'm gonna work a straw, make the sweat drip. Out of every pore, and I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding right before the Lord. All the words are gonna bleed from me, and I will sing no more. And the stings coming from my blood tells me go back home. Ah, Seven Nation Army, and we're seeing that starting to come to fruition slowly uh, with uh, things heating up in Turkey like nobody's business. Well, it's Friday. Ooh, it's Friday, and it's December 17th. <laughs> it's been the slowest damn month ever, hasn't it? Told you. It's like Christmas can't come fast enough, and you're just like, damn, it's like still the 10th, still the 10th, still the 15th, still the 15th. So it's moving along. It's moving along. It's moving along. Um, this weekend, hopefully, it'll be all editing and um, I, and my heart will be in my mouth because obviously I'll be worried about my um, daughter traveling, um, making her way to Ohio. So I'm very excited about that. I can't wait to see her. You know, um, yesterday I had uh, a very interesting day um, from I went and filed uh, another motion in my um, uh, school board case where I requested to enjoy the, well, it was more so bringing my case from the Supreme Court of Ohio as the Attorney General had kind of outlined in uh, his response to my writ of mandamus Um to take it to the federal court and considering that my federal case was examining the same questions uh, that the written mandamus was um, that was actually filed. So there's a few outcomes that can happen with that case. And uh, one of those outcomes is that he says no and nope, I'm dismissing this whole thing and it's totally gone, which is great because then I go to the circuit court because I can appeal it there and take it to the Supreme court. Um, <clears throat> or he can let it go to trial and it'll be so awesome to have myself <clears throat> litigate against attorneys. I'm going to mop the floor with them. Um, so we'll see how it pans out. I just, uh, filed it and, um, uh, you know, he has the right to deny uh, a secondary motion, right? You can amend a case once, but when you want to amend it again, it's like a, I made a motion to amend it again. So you can 
amend the case once. After that, you have to ask the judge to accept the amendment. So I filed the motion to amend and then why I want to amend it. Here's the amended portion and here's the exhibit. So hopefully um, he'll he'll take it on. He seems like um, jurisprudence is his thing, right? He likes a good challenge and um I'm really hoping that he does take it on. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, just hanging out and uh, discussing various things with Millie. So that was that was fun to do. You know, kids and just you know a couple of hours of just us. Um, sometimes you know adults need playtime too, per se. Like the playtime for us was just talking. Um, I have been drinking elderberry juice and um, having cuties. I feel better. I don't have a fever, but I'm still feeling a little bit under the weather, right? And I, and I know that a lot of you can probably hear it too. Yeah. Um, so I do sound very sick, but I actually feel a, a ton better um, it, per se, <laughs> per se. Um, you know, I, I've been watching what has been happening in the media and it is Across the nation, it's just, it, it feels like just pure insanity has broken out, right? Uh, unapologetically, too. Like, no one's even trying to hide it anymore, uh, the way they are. And I thought to myself, you know, if everyone did this slight thing, and I'm victim of not doing it, but when you see small things that, um, that peak, you know, you're, wait a minute, just small signs of behavior that could be considered anomaly that may induce some anxiety, meaning betrayal. You should never ignore that because there's sometimes in your life, in, in just in general, and I'm not talking about just your personal life. I'm talking your business, your political sphere, you know, who you, you know, put your, what basket you put your eggs in. Sometimes you come across something that helps you kind of morph uh, the way you're living. It's it's almost instant. It's like you suddenly have like this 40,000 foot view. Um, it's a lot more full in the way you see things. Um, it, but more common is when your world is shifted dramatically, like it has now, and you fall into surrounding chaos, right? It's extremely hard on you. Everything you thought was real isn't real, right? Because what is normal? Do you think that one day, okay, COVID's over, Trump's back. It's all good. It's not. See, the normal that you knew wasn't really normal. It was just normalized for you. And so that has you surrounded in chaos and you feel like you're in free fall as a citizen, as an individual, as a family member in, in a unit, a family, uh, in your social circles, right? You just feel like, wait a minute, I, I feel like I've just been on a river floating along and it was like, yeah, look, it's great. I'm in this raft and whatever. And then it's like, but there is no water. Why am I in a raft? What's going on? <laughs> You're starting to see it. And that causes you psychophysiological damages, right? And um, it's really, really important to have 
your the ability to pay attention to detail rather than the whole. Mm. I always say to take the 40,000 foot view when you want to parse open a problem, when you're uh, seeing a predicament, when you something, you know, it's like a little twitch and you're on your way like, wait a minute, what was that he said? Wait a minute, what was that she said? Wait a minute, what was that I saw? You zoom out, you take the 40,000 foot view and you kind of try to put the pieces together. But here's the thing. What if that tinkle, you know, that little inclinage that you get is from someone around you or your politician or the person claiming to run for governor, senator, congressman, president, right? What happens, right? When, when, when that happens, you know, there's, there's, you have to constantly adjust the way you see the person. So that way you can get a better view right? Of what's going on. And it's very difficult to do. Um, there are so many times in your life where you kind of like you get into a cab and then, you know, the guy's wearing rapist glasses, right? And you're just like, okay, it's 3am. I'm by myself. I'm wearing a really short skirt and we're going to be going through the Midtown Tunnel. I don't think I want to be going with this guy, you know, out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> out into the boroughs uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm going to take a pass because you have like this small inclinage. That's your gut telling you that something is off. It's really important that people focus on that little, little bit. Because if you don't pay attention to those little details, things that just don't sit right, it's like they're like A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, five, E, F, G, and they just pretend like they didn't count in the middle. That's what you need to focus on because then that shows that there is something else there that you should be aware of. And that is where you should never ignore any signs of any change to message, right? to how they approach you because all these years you've been conditioned to just accept changes in policies, in speech, in interaction from your employers, from everything. So it's always important to have that little voice inside you. And if it just says, well, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It was just like he was wearing rapist glasses. Doesn't mean he is, but this gut feeling told you rapist glasses don't go right. Or if you hear someone, uh, you know, saying something and you're just like, well, I don't know, man, that person kind of said this. And it's like, why would you say that? And then it's like, he misspoke. I don't know if he misspoke. Maybe it was a truth. Just, Please try to cultivate your inner voice. Find that still that can, you know, give you that um, substantiation to what you're listening to. Having said that, I want us to listen to President Trump's last speech. I think it's important that we hear it. Let's go. Very much. Uh, thank you very much. And we love you. And I can tell you that from the bottom of my heart, this has been an incredible four years. Uh, we've accomplished so much together. I want to thank all of my 
family and my friends and my staff and so many other people for being here. I want to thank uh, you for your effort, your hard work. People have no idea how hard this we've accomplished a lot. Our first lady has been a woman of great grace and beauty and dignity. And so popular with the people, so popular with the people. In fact, honey, would you like to say a few words, please? Being your first lady was my greatest honor. Thank you for your love and your support. You will be in my thoughts and prayers. God bless you all. God bless your families. And God bless this beautiful nation. Thank you. What else has to be said, right? But what we've done, that's true, honey, great job. What we've done has been amazing by any standard. We rebuilt the United States military. We created a new force called Space Force. That in itself would be a major achievement for a regular administration. We were not a regular administration. We took care of the vets, 91% approval rating. They've never had that before. The vets have given us the VA. The vets have given us an approval rating like uh, has never been before. We took care of our vets and our beautiful vets. They were very badly treated before we came along. And uh, as you know, we get them great service and we pick up the bill and they can go out and they can see a doctor if they have to wait long periods of time. We got it so that we can sadly uh, get rid of people that don't treat our vets properly. We, had, we didn't have any of those rights before when I came on. So our vets are happy. Our people are happy. Our military is thrilled. We also got tax cuts, the largest tax cut and reform in the history of our country by far. I hope they don't raise your taxes. But if they do, I told you so. And uh, if you look at the regulations, which I consider the regulation cuts to be maybe even more important, that's why we have such good and have had such good job numbers. The job numbers have been absolutely incredible. When we started, had we not been hit by the pandemic, uh, we would have had uh, numbers that would never have been seen already. Our numbers are the best ever. If you look at what happened until February a year ago, our numbers were at a level that nobody had ever seen before. And even now, we really built it twice. We got hit. Nobody blames us for that. The whole world got hit. And then we built it again. And now the stock market is actually substantially higher than it was at its higher point prior to the pandemic. So it's uh, really, you could say, we built it twice. And uh, you're going to see... You're going to see incredible numbers start coming in if everything is sort of left alone. Be careful. Very complex. Be careful. But you're going to see some incredible things happening. And uh, remember us when you see these things happening, if you would. Remember us because uh, I'm, looking at, uh, I'm looking at elements of our economy that are set to be a rocket ship up. It's a rocket ship up. We have the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest economy in the world. And as bad as the pandemic was, we were hit so hard, just like the entire world was hit so hard. Places that 
thought they got away with it, didn't get away with it. They're suffering right now. We did something that is uh, really considered a medical miracle. They're calling it a miracle, and that was the vaccine. We got the vaccine developed in nine months instead of nine years or five years or 10 years or a long time. It was supposed to take a long time, many, many years to develop a vaccine. We have two out. We have another one coming almost immediately. And uh, it really is a great achievement. So you should start to see really good numbers over the next uh, few months. I think you're going to see those numbers really skyrocket downward. And I can only say this, uh, we have worked hard. We've left it all, as the athletes would say, we've left it all in the field. We don't have to, we don't have to come and say, we'll never say in a month when we're sitting in Florida, we're not going to be looking at each other and saying, you know, if we only worked a little bit harder, you can't work harder. And we had a lot of obstacles and we went through the obstacles. And we just got 75 million votes, and that's a record in the history of in the history of sitting presidents. That's an all-time record by a lot, by many millions in the history of sitting presidents. It's been really just an honor. Uh, one of the things we're very, very proud of is the selection of almost 300 federal judges and three great Supreme Court justices. That's a very big number. That's a record-setting number. And uh, so we've done a lot, and there's still things to do. The first thing we have to do is pay our respects and our love to the incredible people and families who suffered so gravely from the China virus. It's a uh, horrible thing that was put onto the world. We all know where it came from, but it's a horrible, horrible thing. So be very careful, be very, very careful. But we want to pay uh, great love, great love to all of the people that have suffered, including families who have suffered so gravely. So with that, I, I just want to say you are amazing people. This is a great, great country. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. I will always fight for you. I will be watching. I will be listening. And I will tell you that the future of this country has never been better. I wish the new administration great luck and great success. I think they'll have great success. They have the foundation to do something really spectacular. And again, we put it in a position like it's never been before, despite the worst plague to hit since, I guess you'd say 1917, over a hundred years ago. And despite that, despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible and I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. And again, uh, I want to just in leaving, I want to thank our vice president, Mike Pence and Karen. I want to thank Congress because we really worked well with Congress, uh, at least certain elements of Congress. 
But we really did. We've gotten so much done that nobody thought would be possible. But I do want to thank Congress. And I want to thank all of the great people of Washington, D.C., all of the people that we worked with to put this miracle together. So have a good life. We will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So um, that was one of that was his last speech. I just wanted us to play it because I think it's important you heard it. And um, I think one thing that defines someone you want around you is someone that has integrity. See, I, I give a lot of shit to Warren Buffett, right? I don't like the way he does his business tactics. But one thing that he had say, he had said, and he sticks by, is that the only way um, you can find a good leader is um, looking for integrity. Integrity is key. How do you know um, what a person's character is when you meet them or when they greet you or they tell you they're running, right? It's, you know, what do you do? You look at what they wear. And let's say you have their history, right? So what do you look at their resume? Do you social media search them, right? There's so many things you can do. But when we're talking about someone who's in the public sphere, what you have to look at is their Integrity. And a lot of people don't understand what integrity means, right? Integrity has various definitions. Uh, dictionaries have, um, uh, you know, have defined it as someone that's truth telling or that says the truth, but that isn't what integrity really means. It's someone who is strict on their moral and ethical code, right? And they have like this unwavering platform in themselves. <clears throat> so it's kind of like integrity. Let me simulate it to strawberries. So when I get ice cream, right? Maybe it's because I always had Baskin Robbins strawberries. You know, I don't know if you've ever had their strawberry sauce with the whole strawberries. But if I ever go to Baskin Robbins, I'll buy a quart of their strawberries. Because that to me is the the um the base of Baskin Robbins. That is what I say they have integrity in that. <laughs> Maybe not the ice cream, but just that integrity is, you know, people that, you know, do the right thing, say the right thing when no one's really looking and they will stand by it no matter if they fail or if they succeed. They're the people that will take, um, on challenges, um, and they want it to be as honest as possible. They want it to, um, to be as simple as possible. They aim for parsimony because parsimony is less complicated. Therefore, the waters aren't muddy. It simply is. They reject any wrongdoing, no matter how small the wrongdoing is, they will reject it. It's a moral ground. 
It's how you can see where they sit. I found this like nice explanatory video from this guy named Communication Coach Alex. I want us to listen to what this communication coach has to say about integrity before we move forward with the rest of today's show. Because I think the theme for today is integrity. It's important that we understand what integrity is and how we can spot it. Because when we're in that position of, can I trust this person? Can I hear what this politician is telling me? Well, they said this and they were wrong, or they did this and they were wrong. Integrity is where you have to fall back on because that tells you who they really are. Is integrity. And as usual, I'll look at this from the standpoint of leadership. So let's get into it. After looking into this a bit, integrity has two parts. And the first way is the way most of us understand it. Part A is the quality of being honest, having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. This is about honesty, good character, and being trustworthy. This aspect of integrity usually becomes visible when we are honest, tell the truth, and have good character in difficult situations. The second part is even more interesting to me. Part B is the state of being whole and undivided. This is about our internal unity and coherence. In other words, if you've ever been conflicted about your actions and decisions and thoughts, when it came to your beliefs and morals, that may be a signal that you're not feeling whole and undivided inside. If you feel confused or torn about where you stand, that's another signal that you have some internal unity and coherence issues. You haven't settled it yet. And really, the presence or absence of integrity on the inside like this is where it starts. Our inner world drives our outward actions. So let's dig deeper into this and we'll start on the inside. First and foremost, integrity is an internal quality that people possess that others may not see. As Nelson Mandela once said, the first thing is to be honest with yourself. This is a prerequisite to integrity. People who can't do an honest self-reflection are going to get stuck and it will be hard for them to grow and mature. I can't remember where I first heard this example, but I was once reading about a guy who made a personal commitment to not ever take anything that wasn't his, no matter how valuable it was, even if no one was watching. So I believe the example he used was, well, what if one day he was walking down an empty beach and he saw a Rolex watch in the sand? He said he wouldn't pick it up. That's an example of internal unity and coherence. Nobody's watching and he's not rationalizing or fooling himself so that he somehow gets to keep that Rolex watch. He knows who he is and what he's made of, and he's not going to take something that's not his. I just read the other day about an employee at a Goodwill location who found $42,000 in cash that was wrapped up in some donated sweaters. As the employee was sorting through the donated clothes, she felt what she thought was a book inside the clothing. When she opened it up, she saw these massive stacks of cash, but she didn't hesitate. She instantly told her manager and they tracked down the person who donated those clothes and they returned the money. In an interview, she said, 
it would never have occurred to her to keep the money. I'm sure it felt great for her to know who she was. It feels freeing and powerful to have that internal consistency rather than rationalizing and wrestling with moral decisions. And it's really easy to admire her because her moral compass was whole and undivided. And by the way, in return, the person who donated the clothes gave her $1,000 as a gift for being honest. But she didn't know that that was going to happen ahead of time. Oprah Winfrey once repeated an old-fashioned sentiment that I agree with. She said, real integrity is doing the right thing, knowing that nobody is going to know whether or not you did it. That's integrity. Second, as an extension of what we've said, other people may or may not eventually notice your integrity on the outside. And when they notice, it could help you, but it could also cost you. Nikki Gumbel is an English Anglican priest, but he started out as a lawyer, and he tells lots of stories about the old days as a lawyer. One story he tells is about another lawyer he knows in England, and one day this young mid-level lawyer was in an office with the boss, the top partner at the firm. The phone rang, and as the young lawyer reached for it, the boss said to him, if that's for me, tell them I'm not here. So the young lawyer answered the phone, and he said, yes, he's here, just a moment, and he handed the phone to his boss. His boss glared at him, face turned red. He took the phone, had a brief conversation, and he hung up. And he turned and was about to tear into that young lawyer. But the young lawyer spoke first. He said to his boss, I will never lie for you. And I will never lie to you. That's integrity. His integrity is being tested. And some people might say, well, it's just a, a little white lie. But a person with a strong internal commitment to honesty won't do that. And the boss, by the way, was so impressed that he put that young lawyer in charge of lots of important cases and even asked him to be his personal attorney. But the key here is that the young lawyer didn't know that it would work out like that. He was sticking his neck out there and it could have cost him. And even in the best of cases, it may take a long time before anybody recognizes that you have integrity because it's mainly on the inside and only gets publicly tested in really visible ways a small percentage of the time. But we don't strive to have integrity to impress others. We do it because, can you guess, say it with me, it's the right thing to do. Here are a few practical takeaways. Integrity is a choice. It's a commitment that you make to be honest, trustworthy, and base your life and decisions on good morals. Integrity often means doing the right thing, even if it means putting your own benefits at risk. Question of the day, do you know anybody personally that has integrity? Share your examples below. I would love to read them. So his shows are pretty great. I I, I sense that he uses NLP a little bit. But <clears throat> integrity is not just about your convictions and standing in the truth. It's where your morals lie. Um and that is where truth lies too. <laughs> that is what it is. What is your foundation? Like when you go to uh, Cold Stone Creamery and you're getting like this badass, why am I constantly talking about ice cream? Damn it. <laughs> when you want to get that badass ice cream, right? <clears throat> they ask you what you want as your base. Is it the sweet cream ice cream? Is it chocolate? Is it the mint one? Right. And then you add the fixings. 
So the question should always be to yourself, what's your base? Where is your base? Your compass, where's that come? I keep talking about that moral compass, that moral floor, right? Where's that base, your floor? Where's that floor? It's something really important that we need to kind of embrace uh, because today it's just full on madness. And how do you, how do you, how do you find which direction you're going? This is how I feel today is it's multidirectional. You're just like, wait a minute. All these people are resigning. Damn. All of these people are not seeking reelection. Damn. All of these actors are being arrested, caught for like murder, pedophilia, you know, all of this stuff is going on. People are being hacked, right? There's so much extortion, screaming, lies, shamelessly. All of this is being done shamelessly. Like, you know, when you watch CNN now, it looks like they're reporting, but they're also like, yeah, our shit doesn't stink. So let's go. Even though you've got shit ton of pedos working for you, you have Don Lamont that set up the whole Justice Malay bullshit. You know, you have all that going on. Right. And it's, and you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, you know, we talked about it yesterday, how Alec Baldwin got his phone. Well, there was more. An actor was arrested on the set today on NCIS Los Angeles, Brent Osborne. Um, what happened was these chicks, these girls were dropped off um, dead. Hold on. Let me play the clip. Uh, he was actually arrested today um, for that. They linked it up. So they're all getting caught doing things that they always do. Take a listen to this report. Oops, you can't take a listen to it because I'm going to share it, of course. In connection with the deaths of a model and her friend last month. Yeah, one man has also come forward saying one of the suspects, a Hollywood actor, confessed to him about what happened mm -hmm. that night. Kate Kalmine's Jasmine Veal live in Olympic Boulevard in the Pico Robertson neighborhood with details now. Jasmine. Well, Susie, this is the apartment right behind me. They're on the second floor where those two women had those fatal overdoses. And as you said, their bodies later dumped at two different hospitals. And tonight, police are concerned there could be even more women victims out there drugged by these men. Jan Sillier says it was love at first sight when he first met his wife, Christy Giles. A fairy tale relationship from the beginning. A fairy tale that turned into a nightmare a month ago. The LAPD says after a night out, the 24-year-old model and her friend, Hilda Marcella Cabrales Arzola, were given drugs by three men and suffered deadly overdoses while at this apartment on Olympic Boulevard in L.A. Uh, Christy and Hilda were convinced to go somewhere with these guys. We, we suspect that they were told that they were going to uh, some after party. Police arrested those three men in connection with their deaths. David Pierce is charged with manslaughter. Michael Onsbach and Brent Osborne are both charged as an accessory to manslaughter. And what's even more strange is David Marietta Jr. and his wife, both actors, say Osborne, also an actor, confessed to them all about that night with the women while they were on a shoot together days later. And he said, I had the craziest weekend of my life and yeah. proceeds to, to just tell me hour by hour detailed account and timeline of exactly what happened from late Friday afternoon to, to about Saturday afternoon, where he begins to kind of boast and, and create an alibi in the process of uh, how he went to sleep. He woke up. Uh, one of the girls didn't have a pulse. 
Sillier says minutes after his wife arrived at this apartment around 5.30 a.m., the girls started texting each other about wanting to leave the Pico-Robertson neighborhood. So at 5.30, they tried to leave. They called an Uber and, uh, and they never, never heard from again. Police say the women's bodies were dumped later that evening outside two different hospitals by the men in a black Prius with no plates. Giles was already dead. Arzola died weeks later. And once we started going through and, and talking to the detectives and stuff, uh, things started falling into place. It's a small sigh of relief, but the, I, I know that this is not a, a celebratory point. This is just the beginning of the battle. Now, neighbors told me they've seen police being called to this apartment before uh, the DA gets the case tomorrow. Susie Wan, back to you. So what's weird is, if you guys notice, these two women were together, but they were like the woman that was one woman that was dropped off at the hospital was dead on arrival. The other one died weeks later. OK, did you hear that? Weeks later. So weeks later, the other one died. And now everyone's getting arrested. I just wanted to point that out. Pretty insane, isn't it? So <clears throat> Brent Osborne was actually taken into custody in connection to that. So that was pretty insane, right? So there's insanity. Something's going on. Another uh, something's going on is, aside from the Democrats resigning, we have uh, Senate, State Senate, House Senate, and uh, Attorney General Wayne Stingham, they're all not running for re-election. And so the question is, it's in a mass that a lot of people are not running for re-election. Now, here's what happens when you can't run for re-election. You're probably undergoing a secret trial. And so you are not allowed to run and you will not allow to have, you're not going to be allowed to have duties. So I just wanted to point that out. So a lot of things are happening that people can't see. Um, on the other side, there were um, people that uh, uh, Roger Stone appeared today in front of the J6 committee um, and he spoke and he was interviewed. Uh, but it was really weird because the J6 committee now just came out asking for Ali Akbar's text messages and Mark Meadows. Now they can't have Mark Meadows because there's executive privilege, but how, we've said this before, how do you introduce evidence? It's by, you know, just confiscating things. You get evidence, right? You just grab onto that evidence. So what's weird is Ali Akbar's messages, his phone, his communications are riddled with other things that he does not want them to have. So now he doesn't get to select what he gives them. They just wanted. But let's listen to um, Roger Stone. Stone met with that panel for over an hour and asserted his Fifth Amendment right to every single question asked by the committee. After his deposition, he explained to reporters why he decided to invoke his constitutional right not to incriminate himself. Invoke my Fifth Amendment rights to every question, not because I have done anything wrong, but because I am fully aware of the House Democrats' long history uh, of fabricating perjury charges on the basis of comments that are innocuous, immaterial, or irrelevant. Uh, I question the legitimacy of this inquiry based on the fact that Speaker Pelosi rejected the appointment of Republicans to this committee and seated two anti 
Republican, anti-Trump Republicans. This is witch hunt 3.0. Well, the committee subpoenaed Stone in November, saying he promoted the appearance at the January 6th Stop the Steal event and even said his purpose was to lead a march to the Capitol. Stone says his actions fall under free speech and the right to assemble. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, Capitol writer Anthony Tony Mariotta was sentenced to three months probation and a $5,000 fine for breaching the Capitol and taking video inside, which included taking a selfie inside the Senate gallery. His sentence was actually part of a plea deal. Uh, but the federal judge, which is an appointee of former U.S. President George W. Bush, laid into him at that hearing saying, quote, you've disgraced this country. And if it were up to him, he would be behind bars. But that is not what the standard of sentencing in this particular case called for. Uh, the judge also said that he believes that the actions of those on January 6th sets a very dangerous precedent for elections going forward. The Department of Justice has said that more than 600 arrests have been made in connection with the January 6th riot. You just watched Newsmax TV. So Stone did very well to plead the fifth, and he's right. They will take everything you say, especially if you're one of their targets, and misconstrue it and trap you into perjury, right? They will take everything. So he did the right thing because he would have been entrapped and ensnared. Now, uh, apparently, uh, they are now uh, seeking to get e the email communications of, um, uh, not email, they want like um, the, the cell phones. They want all their cell phones and they will have all their data. Um, Mark Meadows had nothing to do with this. The White House had nothing to do with this. But if they get Ali Akbar's cell phone, oh my gosh, it's not going to look good because there's other things on there, crimes that he committed before that, right? And that, <laughs> I did say, <clears throat> that is going to be a very big problem for him uh, because if they get a hold of his phone, they're going to see other crimes that he enacted. And it, it, it is a pretty big deal. Uh, because one thing law enforcement cannot do is have in their hands evidence of an actual crime and not act on it. They have to act on it. Now, speaking on having to act on it, we do know that uh, riots were called protests. They were even called peaceful protests. And it was quite interesting to see this interaction between John Kennedy and um, judicial nominee today. It was, um, I found it quite fascinating. I want you guys to listen to this interaction because it'll tell you the state of our judicial system. Uh, Professor Trom, do you, do you think we should forgive criminal misbehavior in the name of social justice? Senator, thank you for that question. I recognize that all issues of crime and all responses to crime are fundamentally policy issues. Um, so those are important issues. They're important for our community and our nation, but I leave those policy issues to policymakers. If confirmed as a judge, I would not be a policymaker. I'm not, I asking, would be your, I'm not asking your opinion as a judge. I'm asking your opinion as a person, as a law professor. 
I'll stipulate with all of you that uh, you're all going to be fair and unbiased. Okay. Now, do you do you think that criminal that misbehavior and illegal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice? So, Senator, I I do believe that um, all cr- criminal policy is a fundamentally a policy issue. Yes, ma'am, um, but do you think, those- as a person, as a professor, that an illegal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice? Senator, that is not a view that I have taken in my work. And what so I that's would say, no? Is your answer no? Senator, in my work, I have not taken that view. And in my, in my, under- I, my I, view... I'm asking, Professor, what you believe. I think this is really straightforward. You're, you're a professor. Do you believe that a crim- uh, uh, an illegal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice? It's pretty simple. So, Senator... I believe that we have criminal laws, criminal laws that are created by policymaking bodies well, like this one. We, I got all that. Do you believe that a criminal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice? So, Senator, we have not only criminal laws, but we have a criminal process by which people come before the court to be held accountable um, if they are charged with a crime. And I have enormous respect for that process. I do, too. Do you believe that a criminal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice? Senator, when people come before the court, if they are charged with a crime, that is a highly individualized and fact-specific process for all who are involved. And I respect that process. I respect the heck out of it. Do you believe that a criminal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice. Senator, I don't think that I could say with respect to any particular case or as a generality with respect to any category of cases. Do you not have an opinion? I don't have a view to share on how any particular kind of case should be handled. Do you have a view on my question? I do not have a viewpoint to share on how any no, particular I didn't ask that. I, I can tell you don't want to share it. I got that part. Uh, do you have a view? I, I don't understand why you won't answer my question. You're gonna you're, if you're confirmed, you're gonna be a federal judge. And and I, I joined my good friend Senator Durbin in uh, in saying that judicial and temperament is is important. But I think being unbiased is even more important. And I find it incredible that you won't answer my question. You're, so I'm going to ask it again. Maybe it's me. Do you believe that we should forgive a criminal act in the name of social justice? Senator, I ha- share the view that we should be unbiased, but I also share the view that our criminal justice system and our process is very individualized. So what should happen in any particular case is a matter of the process and the very specific do, do facts you in that case. that a criminal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice? So the outcome of any case is always highly individualized based on the process and the facts. What's your favorite color? Thank you. <laughs> I got one. I'm one for about 20. I can't vote for you. Not if you're not going to answer questions. 
I mean, that was embarrassing. Senator Blackburn? And that's integrity, my friends. No integrity, no floor, no answer, no responsibility for her perspective. Therefore, she does not deserve to be anywhere near anything judicial because she could not answer a simple question. Does social justice justify crimes? And she couldn't even come up with a simple yes or no. That is incredible. You watched it. You watched her avoid answering the question. This is how they operate. Everyone always tells you who they are if you're listening. Well, let's take a quick break. Yeah, feeling a bit Russian. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite favorite tunes um, that hail out of Russia. Uh, it's actually quite awesome beat. Uh, I actually love listening to it when I'm driving in the car. It makes me feel like I'm in a video game. So we're going to talk about Russia. But before we get there, let's continue on the whole integrity portion. The whole integrity portion of rioters. Because, you know, all these woke corporations wanted to defund the police, right? They all wanted to defund the police. They all wanted to get social workers, you know, come in. And now, you know, they're a little bit upset. They're getting robbed and they need the police. And it's like, police are like, why don't you call your social worker? No, they're not telling them that. But <laughs> the irony, here's a report of how all these woke retailers need the police now because they're getting robbed. Companies that supported Black Lives Matter and anti-police policies last year are now asking Congress for help amid a rise in smash and grab crime. San Jose Police Officer Association President Sean Pritchard recently saying on Fox Digital, quote, many corporate leaders jumped on the woke bandwagon and wrote big corporate checks to organizations that still continue to advocate to defund the police. They did not think of anything beyond not being a racist. All right, well, here now to react and weigh in is Miranda Devine from the New York Post. Miranda, thank you for joining me. So this, I, I, this is so frustrating. You had companies like Target 
and Nordstrom's that wrote huge checks to Black Lives Matter and the ACLU. They're all woke, saying let's support organizations that are going to defund the police. And, and communities got defunding the police, and all of a sudden you have these smash and grab robberies. And then these same companies are coming back to Congress and saying, oh, no, we want you to do something to save our businesses. What say you? Well, exactly. I mean, they only have themselves to blame. They pandered to the Democratic Party, which was using uh, riots and civil unrest and uh, the breakdown of law and order to beat Donald Trump in the last election. And they were all in it together. And uh, the people who really suffer are the customers, the people who have to work in these places that are no longer safe because you've got shoplifters and criminals coming in and ransacking, um, you know, it, it, it destroys the quality of life in cities when there is just such open theft and robbery and violence. And the Democrats and their woke corporate brethren are all to blame and they did it for political purposes. And the only reason they care now and they're speaking out is because the polls have turned against them. No, no, the 100% the polls have turned against them, Miranda. But here, if I was in Congress for nine years, and if I got that letter, I'd say, well, hey, all you woke companies that wanted these policies in place that now you don't like, have you rescinded your contributions to these you know, left-wing organizations that want to defund the police? Or have you publicly condemned these companies saying you don't stand with them any longer? I don't think, I don't think they've done either of those things. They want, they want it both ways. They want to say, we stand with defunding the police, but then I want to go to Congress and say, hey, Congress, we want you to help us out to keep my business safe. I mean, they're, they're total hypocrites, I think, in the way they're handling this. You're so right, Sean. That's what they ought to do. But you know that they're not going to do that because they um, are in bed with the left ridiculously. This is what's happened to capitalism. Capitalism, uh, the Democrats are in bed together and they control, uh, I guess they are the elites now and they control yeah. everything and they don't, they're, they're what used to be their priority, which was to make money, which was a pretty healthy way of the world operating, um, seems to have been surpassed by other concerns. And perhaps it's because they really don't care about Amer the American market. They have got their eye on the bigger market in China. Yeah, that's a really good point. And by the way, I would say, listen, if you bought these policies, you live with these policies, we're not going to help you out. But uh, I want you to get, well, I want to get your take on this because House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, had something to say about the new crime wave uh, taking over the country. Get a load of this. It's absolutely outrageous. Uh, you know, obviously, it cannot continue. Uh, but the fact is that there is an attitude of uh, uh, lawlessness in our country that springs from I don't know where. Maybe you do. I'll raise my hand to that one. Uh, lawlessness from I don't know where, Miranda? It's from politicians like her who have joined the movement to defund the police and empowered criminals to ransack our communities. What, what is wrong with Nancy Pelosi? She is the world's biggest gaslighter <laughs> yeah. and hypocrite. Yes. Honestly, it is outrageous to hear her say things like that. She just is shameless. Uh, she, she is the most, uh, one of the most senior people in the Democratic Party, the most senior woman really in charge. Um, she rules that party with an iron fist. Everyone is terrified of her. She decides what goes down. And when the Democratic Party was playing footsies with the defund the police mob, including Joe Biden, even though he denies it, he was all for uh, diverting money from police to social social welfare sort of concerns. That is defunding the police. We see the results of it in New York, where one billion one 
billion was defunded from the police. Look at it now, utter lawlessness. The same thing happened in Minneapolis, in other cities across the country. That was madness and it was um, facilitated and it was, uh, I guess, you know, agreed to by the Democratic Party because they thought this was a great way of softening up the citizenry and making them feel that under Donald Trump there was nothing but chaos. And it won them an election, but now the genie is out of the bottle, they can't put it back. And what they've also done is they've empowered these radical prosecutors who the prosecutors are meant to be like cops. I mean, they're meant to be putting the bad guys in jail. Instead, they seem to be working overtime to keep the bad guys, violent recidivist criminals back on the street to menace and victimize innocent people all over again. Now, you're 100 percent right. And I don't know if Nancy Pelosi thinks that we're dumb or she doesn't think that we're in a modern age of she technology does. where we can actually roll the tape where she was supporting defund the police and doesn't think that we're going to understand that she was the problem and why we're in a place with so much crime. Um, I don't think the American voters are going to forget that. But Miranda Devine, thank you for joining me tonight and for your insight. I appreciate it. Thanks, right. Sean. So let me tell you how this is bullshit and how they're entrapping you into what's coming. So the left was super woke under President Trump and wanted to defund the police. Now they have high crime, right? And they're like, oh, you need the police, not social workers. And it's like, that's a fake cry. This is crocodile tears. Let me show you how this works. <clears throat> In all retail stores right now, they have revamped their entrances. In major retailers, uh, they are implementing machines that will open with the scanning of a QR code. So rather than bring the police, you won't be able to enter without your QR code. So they will know who it is that's stealing and they will be trapped within the store. So they will have their own private security that will remove them and take them down. So this is how they do it. They laugh. Ha ha ha. You wanted to defund the police. And they're like, ha ha. You know, we, we need the police. And it's like they're crying, but they're not really crying. Well, here's the new deal. Everyone has COVID passports and to enter to go to any store and to shop. So let's just have clear machines in order for them to enter your store to rob you during the day. They're going to have to scan their code and come on in. You see how that works. And all the cameras see you. See, it's not funny, but that's the solution that they're bringing. See, this is why all these major cities and major retailers are having the problem. You think the stuff you see in Canada and Australia and in other countries where they're refusing people to go buy food without a COVID passport. Do you know in Greece, my family members, some of them have gotten the vaccine just to be able to go to the store and shop for food because the others can't go because they don't have one. So someone's like, listen, I'll go get it so everybody can eat. I kid you not. So you have to think while we laugh at them, ha ha, right? Oh, ha, ha, ha. no, this is how they're going to implement smart access. So when you're going to want to go in, you're going to have to scan your COVID QR code, your Vax pass, your my pass. What is it? My pass, real ID, real ID. 
So if someone's going to go into CVS and want to steal under $1,000 and run out, right, they're going to know because they scan their damn card to get into the store in the first place. So see, this is how it goes. While the right is like, oh, you were super woke, dang, the right's fucking with you because they know what's coming. How do I know that? Let's rewind. Let's think about almost a year ago when they were having hearings in Ohio about mandatory vaccines and the Republicans were like, well, what about the person that doesn't have another store for a hundred miles? You know, we have to think about them too. And it's like, dude, you're a Republican. What do you mean think about them too? No one said anything about not letting people in the store without a COVID vaccine. Why are you talking about it? Because they've already planned it. They have already planned it. You know, they have been pushing to put drones at the border. They have been pushing to put all these entrance things, those little clear machines at the airport will be in every store near you and they will scan your code, the mark of the beast you got in your right hand. (laughs) That is how it goes. So it's quite sad, quite sad that all of that is happening. And instead of, you know, someone putting a stop to it, they're mocking because it is funny, right? It is funny. Ha ha. You losers. You wanted this. Ha ha. You wanted that. But it gets even more dangerous. Biden actually gave a Christmas warning to unvaccinated American and um, Governor Newham, who I would love to see run as President Trump's VP, said, President Biden yesterday with a warning to unvaccinated Americans, winter is coming and it's going to be bad. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot. You're protected from severe illness and death, period. This, as the president's response to the pandemic gets its worst marks to date, a new Fox Business poll shows nearly half of you, half of America, disapproves of his performance on COVID now. All right, here reacts South Dakota uh, Governor Christy Nome. So it's going to be a dark winter, it looks like. Uh, Governor, what do you plan on doing to your people? I, we plan on doing business as usual and celebrating Christmas. Uh, I think the president's outlook is focusing on the negatives. Uh, this country needs hope. They need to remember the promise of Christmas and the love they have for their families and friends and enjoy the season. But the numbers are rising and he's concerned. Are you? We're always concerned. Uh, we're doing the hard work of taking care of people, letting them use personal responsibility to make the best decisions for themselves and their families, and then focusing on how we can get through challenging times to Together. South Dakota has been an example to the country of how you do that with common sense and protecting freedoms. And I would encourage the president to consider taking some of the actions that we have. Uh, for instance, what? Because uh, to Brian's point, the numbers are rising. The number of hospitalizations mm-hmm. in the last two weeks up 20 percent. Uh, they are expecting, Governor, in about three weeks, the death toll because of COVID, largely Delta, will be 15,000 per week here in the United States. So what common sense things are uh, is South Dakota doing that the president should do? We will continue to do what we've done throughout the pandemic, and that's to inform people, give them the data, focus on the science, encourage them to consistently 
wash their hands like we did throughout the pandemic to make sure that they're they're not feeling well. They should stay home, protect the vulnerable individuals and choose to get a vaccine if they would like to. If they don't, then go into this knowing that they should focus on exercising, taking their vitamin vitamins and being very healthy people. Governor, I know that you want to introduce the girls sports bill. Tell the folks at home what this Mm -hmm. is and why. Well, we did file that bill this week. We go into session in January, but this bill would essentially take uh, the executive orders that I put in place last year and codify them into state law. And what they do is protect fairness in women's sports uh, for girls, make sure that they have the opportunity to be successful, that we only have girls playing in girls sports. It would address it at the K-12 level, but also at the collegiate level here in our state. It's complicated because there are now trans athletes who are competing in sports, in gender, uh, in the categories uh, for genders that they were not born at. Uh, people who were born, born as boys are now uh, trans and now competing with women. There are very physical differences between males and females. And that is one of the issues that we're talking about is the biological differences and making sure that we're protecting girls' sports so that girls have a level playing field, they have the opportunity to be successful, And that's something that was fought for many years ago that we here in South Dakota will protect that right for those girls. Boys should play in boys sports and girls should play in girls sports. Right. Just Leah Thomas uh, is the swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Mm -hmm. switched sexes, uh, now woman, uh, competing and blowing out the competition. Uh, And it turns out a lot of the teammates, a lot of the parents of the teammates uh, of our own teammates are upset about this. They had their own goals. They had to, uh, they had uh, races they wanted to win. Uh, and here's a quote from a, a female swimmer speaking out against Thomas. It's hard working your whole life at a sport and going to the big competition, seeing someone who is more physically talented than you. However, it's even more discouraging to have them right next to you and knowing you won't ever be in the same physical level as them. So that is exactly what this is about, isn't it? It is. And I think a lot of people across the country are trying to take this issue and make it into personal beliefs or to send a message on a different issue when really what this comes down to is fairness. Fairness for girls, giving them a level playing field so that when they compete in these sports, uh, they can be successful and they have the opportunity to go on, go to college, get scholarships, be a professional and make sure that they're competing against someone who is given the same gifts and the same level of physical abilities that they were. Yeah. Governor, before you go, we'll have you weigh in on some politics. Over the last uh, week or so, there's been some speculation about whether or not Joe Biden would run for re-election. And in fact, the New York Times on the op-ed page said, Joe, don't run, but tell people now, What do you think is going to happen on the Democrat side? Now, I think the president and the vice president have discussed this issue. I think they disagree on the best path forward for their party. They've got a lot of division going on, and it'll be interesting to watch what they do in the future. What I know is the policies of Republicans are working. They're creating opportunities. Our economies are growing. People are successful. And Republicans and conservatives are happier because we recognize that what we believe truly does protect what makes America so special. So you believe there's division between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I do. You can you can see it between them uh, that they aren't communicating. They're not getting along. And I think there's a lot of division in the White House right now between those two. Well, he says he's running again. And she says she says we haven't discussed it. Does that mean he possibly (laughs) is looking for another candidate to be his VP? Well, look at look at the Democratic Party. I mean, they're. 
Their leadership obviously has a poor ability to decide when to step down. Uh, They've got Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Joe Biden. Uh, They've got young leaders that are frustrated because they've got a very different agenda for this country. It's interesting to watch what's going on in the Democratic Party because I don't believe it reflects America right now. Mm -hmm. And the American public is waking up to it. That's why parents are showing up at meetings, school Mm -hmm. boards, city Mm -hmm. councils. Uh, They're taking their country back. And I think that means that it's going to be a great midterms for Republicans. Right. They feel optimistic about the House. Um, We'll see what's going to happen in the Senate. Remember in Loudoun County, all those parent that parent panel. Like we had like 12 of them. They all said we didn't even know who our school board members were. And now we all speak out. To your point, a lot of frustration. Governor, thank you very much for joining us today. Merry Christmas, Governor. Merry Christmas. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful holiday. You You too. too. All right. I would have loved her to be kind of uh, picked for VP, wouldn't you? Now, you know, the, the, the way that Fox kind of segued her gender bill was really low class. It should have stuck to the matters at hand, which are all, all this whole hypocrisy that's going around, uh, you know, with uh, coronavirus and the threat. Now, I'll tell you what, what's interesting is, is that right now we have them in a position where they're telling people uh, that they need to go get their vaccine. And, um, but the people getting sick are the vaccinated. And then they're telling people that have already gotten the vaccine to get a booster, even though it doesn't work because their original vaccines and boosters don't work. So it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And this booster that everyone is getting is highly potent. It is making them, you know, virus machines and everywhere around the nation right now, there is a flu bug going around and people are just freaking out. I mean, I caught it and uh, had the fever, it all left. And now I'm at a a point where I'm just feeling blah um, after it's gone. It's just kind of like, it is so bad. And it's just a flu. I've been like this before. I actually had in my memories, right, on Facebook come up where I was eating a, um, uh, a dehydrated okra had a pen in my hair. And I remember just how sick I was. I was sick for like two weeks. I was just like feeling really foggy and it was just around the time of H1N1. Um, you know, when that flu was out and everyone was panicking that they're going to die. Um, I remember I, I had a really vicious cough. I don't have a cough. I just feel really unbound though. So that's great. So my body's not fighting anything that's apparent, I guess. And like the governor of South Dakota said, all you need to do is just make sure you take your vitamins, try to get rest. I've been trying to do that. It's just like not really working out for me. Okay. This whole rest thing. It's like me and my bed have had an argument. Like I I don't sleep as much as I should (laughs) and I should. Um, So rest is important and taking your vitamins and making sure uh, you know, you're keeping hydrated. I mean, that's all you can do, but what are they telling us about this Omicron virus? Like, why is it supposedly so deadly? It's not even isolated. Let's listen to what Dr. Dr. Fauci says that boosters will work against Omicron, but they didn't work against Delta, but they're going to work against this one for sure. Just take another one. In the end, everyone's going to be walking around like fucking drug addicts with like 
a shit ton of track marks from all the fucking COVID vaccines they're getting and boosters. It's postponed. Four campuses now say they will go to online learning for the rest of the semester. Omicron is making a statement, but this is important. Just moments ago, the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said that at least at this point, no, we do not need a new vaccine as long as you get boosted. Our booster vaccine regimens work against Omicron. At this point, there is no need for a variant-specific booster. Dr. Regina Bissett-McCain is here to share her expertise. She's medical director at the Baylor College of Medicine and an emergency room physician. Doctor, grateful for your time today. I just want to bring up first, just to show uh, Omicron, right? Delta is driving the case surge right now. So everyone says, why are we so obsessed about Omicron? Well, it was 0.4% of cases in the United States a week ago. Now it's 3% of cases in the United States. What worries people is, let's use the London experience, just on Sunday, it was 33. Then by Monday, it was 44%. And then on Wednesday, it was 50%. This variant is rapidly producing, doubling and tripling. Uh, when you just heard Dr. Fauci there, are you convinced that's the case, that if everyone just keeps getting boosted, we'll be safe? Or are we going to need a new vaccine? Well, the problem with that, John, is everyone isn't eligible for a booster. You do have to wait at least six months from when you're fully vaccinated with the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or two months from when you're fully vaccinated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to even be eligible for a booster. So that's one part of the issue. The other part of the issue that we're not looking at is although the vaccines and the boosters may protect against disease, they do that at a less efficacious rate than the prior variants. And so when we have a high caseload, even though less people are becoming ill, when the numbers start to spike, that still causes a strain on the hospital system. Uh, and, and that's a key point. I just want to bring up some of the headlines from just recent days. Uh, three leagues, three of our sports leagues have had to postpone games because of COVID. Uh, the NBA says it will follow the science. Ithaca at Cornell, you know, uh, the Ithaca voice, uh, Cornell, one of four college campuses now saying they're going to at least partially shift things online. Omicron is only 3% of the cases, but it is Omicron driving this, even as we still have to deal with Delta. How do you do that juggle? It's hard to juggle. We don't know exactly what we're dealing with. Keep in mind that Omicron was just discovered a little under three weeks ago, and we're already seeing it in over 77 countries and 36 states within a month of being discovered. So there is still a lot about Omicron that we just don't know. And if you come through right now, if you just look at cases in the United States right now, uh, we're just around 120,000 cases, 119,888. Back in November 14th, that was 80,000. So the seven-day average of cases is up 50% since last month. And most of this is Delta. Uh, are you worried that as Omicron starts to double, as we have seen in South Africa and as we've seen in London quickly, uh, that this number will go even higher as we prepare to enter winter? Absolutely. When Delta emerged, it was the most transmissible COVID variant that we had seen to date, and Omicron is quickly taking that title. It has become the most dominant strain in South Africa and now the most dominant strain in the UK as of today. The UK is also seeing case numbers that they hadn't even seen during the winter surge. So, of course, I'm worried that we're going to follow suit and, see, and experience the same as what's happening in Europe. Dr. Fauci's message there clearly was, and you raised a key qualifying point, but his, his message was clearly, uh, please go out and get uh, vaccinated. Uh, vaccinations are up uh, if you look at the numbers, but most of these are boosters. What is more important right now with the dual threat, if you will, of Delta and Omicron? Is it to get those who are vaccinated a booster shot and maybe, as you noted, shrink the, shrink the wait period for that or to get those who are still completely unvaccinated to get a shot? 
I'm not sure if we can place importance on one thing over the other. When it comes to fighting COVID and combating this pandemic, all of the different things, vaccines, boosters, masks, social distancing, these are all tools in our arsenal and we have to employ all of them in order to be able to win this war against COVID-19. Uh, so I, I asked you this question last time you were here. I'm going to ask it again. Based on what you know today, accepting that the science is evolving by the hour, if not by the day, uh, what should people be thinking about in terms of holiday travel, holiday gathering? You know, those thoughts change day to day. I particularly had plans to travel for the holidays and I had to change my plans. I think that what's going to be important is looking at the virus spread and the rate of cases in wherever you plan on traveling to. That's number one. Number two, you have to remember that even if you're vaccinated, going through traveling and airports and buses and trains, you're going to be around a significant amount of people whose vaccination status you don't know, which in and of itself poses a risk. So for those people who are older in age, for those who are immunocompromised, for those who are unvaccinated, I was I would significantly rethink any travel plans for this holiday season. So we're looking at these events from Cornell University, and I wonder if we're seeing something of a canary in the coal mine there, but they're reporting 903 cases of COVID-19 among students and a very high percentage of them the Omicron variant in people who were fully vaccinated. Based on what we're seeing now, are we seeing early signs that Omicron is already here in numbers? Uh, but do we know if it's just more transmissible, but perhaps less severe, or we don't know yet? Well, we certainly know it's more transmissible, Jim. That's mm -hmm. true all around the world, as Rochelle Walensky said uh, just yesterday. And in a semi-enclosed population, such as a university, with all those students together 24-7, it can spread very rapidly. Now, let us note, it's producing very mild and even asymptomatic infections in a highly vaccinated group. So the vaccine is still doing its job in keeping people out of the hospital. So let me ask you this question then. And again, I know there's still more to be learned. And by the way, we do have this NIH data uh, coming out in the next hour. Is closing schools, so Cornell's understandable response here has been to go online, as we saw so much last year, is closing schools, places of business, benching professional athletes, as we're seeing as you see outbreaks on NFL teams. Is that necessary, in your view, if it proves to be causing less severe illness or or? Do we need to lear learn to live with these outbreaks? I, I think the answer is both of those things. We're going to try to curtail the spread of Omicron very seriously. And at the same time, we're trying to educate people that we're going to have to live with COVID. There will yeah. be further variants down the road, and we may have to adjust, adjust what it is that we're doing along the way, depending upon the seriousness of the threat. And mm -hmm. we're still assessing exactly the seriousness of the threat of Omicron. And in the beginning, we were more conservative rather than casual. Yeah. So at the moment, those things, those closed down uh, orders seem to be in good, uh, seem, seem to be wise. One consistent uh, piece of data in, in recent weeks is that, yes, vaccine efficacy is falling as these new variants come out but that a booster restores a lot of that. And yet today, uh, just about 41% of fully vaccinated adults here in this country over the age of 50, right, a more vulnerable group, have so far received a booster. You know, that's less than half. Are we getting booster shots into arms quickly enough to, to keep people out of the hospital as Omicron comes? Well, obviously not as quickly as we in public health would like. 
41% of people over age 50 in the entire United States. That's already achievement, but we have to keep surging with vaccinations in order to get up as high as we would like. We'd like to get well over 90% of people who are eligible for boosters vaccinated. Never mind all those folks who still haven't gotten their first dose. And remember, we have to bring children in to be vaccinated Mm. also. Folks, listen to Dr. Schaffner and the doctors. Get those booster shots. Dr. William Schaffner, thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Like I said, almost everyone's going to be like drug addicts with like a bunch of holes on themselves by the time they're done. So uh, I saw a comment that flew by that says, why do you keep saying they haven't isolated the variant? It was first discovered. Mm -hmm. How was it discovered? That's the question you should ask yourself. Because a lot of people are asking their own health departments, hey, uh, do you have an isolated sample of Omicron so you can compare it to? Because like, for example, if someone says, I tested you, Tori, and you have tuberculosis, it's like, how do you know? I just looked at you and I just know, no, you have tuberculosis, you compare it to your specimen and then you're like, voila, that's TB. So how are they finding Omicron when they haven't isolated COVID, a live virus of COVID, and they haven't isolated a live virus of COVID Delta and Delta Plus and Delta Plus Rewards and, 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 and Epsilon and Kappa and Lambda and Mu and Nu, right? Now they're at Omicron, right? Still no live sample to be like, that's what the Omicron looks like. So the question is, how are they defining this? Oh, you definitely have Omicron. You've got COVID Omicron. How do you know that? Because, because that's it. Science. It's like, it makes no sense. You know, Phoebe, for example, she's sick, right? And I'm like, why don't you go get yourself tested? Because you might have this COVID thing again. She's like, dude, I already had COVID like in 2020. I don't have COVID. She's like, I didn't smell. I didn't this. Right. I never got it. Right. And I actually went to the doctor. I got tested. I got a big fat negative test. And she was like, I'm not getting tested. I'm not getting put on their system. Okay. I'm not going to make you do what you don't want to do. Whatever. And she's like, mom, it's just dumb. I was like, I'm already on the system. So it's like, nobody cares, right? It's not like they're going to put me on a system. You know, I used a Q-tip and then I took a lot of stuff and then I swabbed it on her swab. And I was like, there you go. You're not putting that shit in my nose. Go test it. So, you know, my daughter is refusing, refusing to go and get a COVID test. And I'm like, it's okay. You don't have to. No one's going to make you do it. I tested when I was really deadly sick, when I had um, bronchitis. I knew what I had, but obviously to get my antibiotics, they wanted to check that I didn't have the flu. So I tested negative for influenza A, B, COVID, the whole thing. And so when I was sitting in my doctor's office, they were like, we need that because I can't just give you antibiotics. And it's like, but you can see that it's bronchitis because this happened. So I got a Q-tip, which I brought with me from home, you know, the one that I use in my ears. (laughs) And then I like swabbed my nose and I said, here you go, wiped it on her thing. And I said, that's what you're getting. So there you go. Um, So I had, um, I had, (laughs) I had like so much to say on this, on the Omicron, but it's like, I don't even want to talk about it because it's just another piece of bullshit. They're just going to keep making variants until Omega. And then maybe they'll start with like the Russian alphabet, or maybe we'll all get very well versed in, you know, 
<laughs> I don't know, maybe Chinese. <laughs> and we'll start counting in Chinese, maybe. It'll be COVID-19, you know, whatever. They'll just make it up as long as they can keep it going. And that's the thing. That's exactly it. No other, nothing. That was it. They're just going to keep doing it to lock you in. But here's the deal. What you're seeing is, is that schools and universities and stores are now pushing for online retail. They don't want you in there. So since the jig is up with the Omicron, right? And since, you know, there's nothing to be done, right? Nothing. You can't do anything, right? You can't. It's like, what do you do? Are you going to tell the store? No, I want to go in the store and shop. They're going to be like, sorry, you can only do pickup. We're not going to be opening up our store for you to come in and peruse around and try clothes on and stuff. You can order them online, try them on and send them back. Do you need groceries? Well, we're going to pick them for you and they will be delivered to you. You are not coming near us because of Omicron, but no one's that. We don't care. This is the way we operate. You're going to see it happen. They're already doing it, period, doing it. And that's it. They're already doing it. And you can't stop them. They're doing it. Schools, businesses, why? Because the minute you've got to be online, the minute you've got to be on distant, they need to electronically verify you. Hence, cue music, QR codes are coming to town. That's what's going to happen. You watch that happen. And how do, how did, how did this come about? Well, where are all our federal agencies? Like IRS, Social Security, and all those. Why are their offices closed? They still haven't opened. Now you could get turned away for being poor. If you're poor and you have no money and you're hungry, food pantries can turn you away. See, when shit like that happens, you just know every motherfucker that made that decision is going to hell. Okay? Period. That's it. Now, before we get into Russia, I want to talk um, uh, James O'Keefe. Um, I just want to, I, I, and, and because it's on the top of it, of extortion. And this is how I kind of felt about some communication that I got on my case. I felt a little bit of a, uh, of a feeling of extortion by the U S house of representatives. I'll get into that. In the meantime, let's just see what's going on here. Extortion. It's that dude Matto. And <laughs> this looks funny. In the excerpts that you have published of, of the back and forth in these lawyer letters, it does read like an extortion attempt. I mean, extorting a public figure like that in that way has has legal implications. It was called a request for comment. The New York Times dude did that with us two days ago for his story. Extortion right? Extortion. What is extortion? Extortion is blackmail. Extortion is you either do this or guess what I'm going to do, right? Extortion, blackmail. Well, let me show you something that made me feel kind of like it's extortion. Like, oh yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to totally like ruin everything. You watch me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, well, no. See, when you're going to court, truth comes out, whether you like it or not, right? So either that be in a city court, in the state court, in any court, it's going to come out. And you can think about it. You can pray about it. You can say whatever you want about it. It's going to come out. And so nothing can phase anyone 
I just felt a little bit violated, you know, that, that, that it was said in that way, like, oh yeah, well, you know, we're going to, we're totally going to not do this. So I'm going to read you an email. Okay. Um, it's quite an interesting one. And it was from, uh, the U S house of representatives uh, that was sent to my lawyer. Um, and who yesterday his computer was hacked. <laughs> it was hacked, like remotely controlled hacked probably because of those questions. It was, uh, not interrogatories, it was requests for admission questions. Um, so poor Russell had his computer hacked and went and got another one. So I'm trying to see where, there it is. Okay, maybe I can share it. Give me a second. I just want to share a redacted portion so I don't share any um, uh, information uh, that uh, I shouldn't be sharing. So let me get that for you guys once I can see it. Let's see, where is it? Um, interesting. Um, doesn't look like it wants to come up. Um, give me a second, let me like sort it and find it. Hmm. That's super bizarre. I can't seem to just had it. Oh, there it is. Here we go. It suddenly appeared. How weird. So I'll read it to you because not everyone's watching. So the email goes, we're in receipt of the amended complaint filed against Congressman Steve Cohen on behalf of your client, Terps Hori Maris. I'm reaching out to discuss the possibility of resolving this matter without need for further litigation on either of our parts. Because he has filed his case against Congressman Cohen for actions taken within his official capacity as a member of Congress, he has several federal defenses available to him. According Lead this case can be removed to the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Tennessee pursuant to 28 U.S.C. 1442. Once in federal court, we will move to dismiss on numerous jurisdictional grounds, including but not limited to sovereign immunity, failure to exhaust under Federal Tort Claims Act, and Federal Tort Claims Act's exclusion of claims for defamation against federal officials. Federal court litigation can be both costly and time-consuming, and removal by the congressman will bring the entire matter to federal court, including all other non-federal defendants. We have removed similar cases on numerous occasions and had been successful in federal court. See does versus Halland. To obviate the need for us to proceed with removal, we ask you to please consider withdrawing your complaint against Congressman Cohen. Voluntary dismissal of Congressman Cohen would allow you to proceed in state court against the remaining defendants. If, you're, if you consent to the dismissal of Congressman Cohen, please let me know by 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Friday, December 17th. 
Alternatively, if you choose not to withdraw your claims against the congressman, we will remove this case to the Eastern District of Tennessee. Following removal, we plan to seek an extension of time to file a motion to dismiss until January 29, 2022, 60 days after service on the congressman. Please let me know if you consent to such an extension of motion. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel violated, right? I kind of feel violated. So she's like, hey, we can talk about this. Oh, and by the way, he's like a sovereign individual. We're totally going to win this, okay? And we're going to put it into federal court so we can crush you with the costs, right? This is how I'm reading it, right? I don't know. I mean, you tell me, how do you see it? You'll be crushed because it's very expensive to be in federal court. And then I'm going to drag everyone else into federal court. That, 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 that is how I feel that it was like, you either drop it, right? Or else I'm going to make sure it's extremely expensive for you. And I'm telling you now that I'm going to request for an extension. Why can't you get started on your fucking motion to dismiss? Like, why are you going to wait 60 days? Why are you going to wait? Like what? So <clears throat> I don't know about you guys. I mean, tell me what you guys think. Like, what do you think this is telling you? So now I have the U.S. House of Representative Council uh, in my case because they want to make this about him in his official capacity. And that's what, you know, is insane, right? Because it would suck to think that what he did, he did to me in his official capacity. Uh, that, for me, would be appalling. So... You know, they, they know how expensive it is and they're just like, we're going to do this. And, you know, guess what we said to them? I want you guys to totally guess. Guess. Guess what our response was. Silence is the best response. It's like, yeah, okay, do what you got to do. Bring it. So, um, we didn't respond at all and that's, what's up. I don't get, no one's going to sit there and intimidate me, right? No one's going to sit there and intimidate my lawyer. You know, he may seem very quiet and collected, but that guy's a jarhead. Okay. He's a Marine and he's actually super patient. He will sit there and he will just look at something and then he'll come back to it a couple hours later and it, it'll be like, Dude, where'd you come up with that? Like, ding, that's pretty sweet. So, it's gonna be, it's gonna be um, more onerous. And I guess you know, Ali Akbar then has to be in federal court. That's gonna be kind of sucky right there. Um, but uh, that was uh, how the congressman responded. I guess he didn't like the uh, the uh, flowers that were given to him along with. Uh, service process, but it is what it is, right? So um, that's something else that's on our plate. So <laughs> quite fascinating, isn't it? So now the U.S. House, I'm, I'm able to throw down. I mean, I threw down by myself against a whole state. Uh, this time I have an incredible attorney uh, that, that knows the law and that knows what to do. 
And, you know, I felt horrible when he uh, reached out to me and sent me a video of what was going on with his computer. You guys, it was being remotely accessed. He probably had like a party in his computer. And, you know, I was just like, dude, you should not be working with sensitive materials on a Windows computer. Um, so he had to go get another computer yesterday so he can work. So he's going to uh, kind of get it figured out. Um, and hopefully we can get some cyber forensics on there uh, since he did listen and unplug it completely from everything. Uh, so that way we can sequester and trap the IP addresses uh, so we can uh, figure out who was in his computer. And it's probably because of those questions that we were asking, you know, very, very, very specific questions we were asking that may or may not have made a lot of people uncomfortable um, because the requests for admissions were pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I'll just read off a few uh, for you to um, uh, kind of under, understand uh, how they are. They're pretty simple, right? They're not uh, super elaborate. And um, these were for Dominion. So some of them are just simple stuff, you know, like, please admit that the defendant Dominion voting system is a resident of Colorado. Please admit that on November 29, 2020, plaintiff Terpsehori Maris swore under oath of penalty and perjury in an affidavit attached here as Exhibit 1 that the testimony plaintiff provided was true and correct to the best of her knowledge. So they're going to have to admit to that. They're either going to say, oh, no, we don't admit to that. It's not correct to the best of her knowledge. And it's like, all right, now. Here comes a follow-up question. So uh, the first batch of requests um, for admittance were 117 questions. Some of them were actually quite specific. I'll get to the very um, specific questions uh, that um, were um, stated. So please admit that you met with Terpsehori Maris and John Owen Brennan in 2008 to discuss elections. Please admit that you met with Terpsehori Maris and John Brennan in 2000. Um, please admit that you are a New York center company. Please admit that you're a Canadian center company. Please admit that you're a Georgia center company. Please admit that you are a United States center company. They have to admit to one of those. They can't for all of them. Please admit that you met with James and with, with James um, Clapper, the, Undersecretary of Defense. Oh, please admit that you met with Undersecretary of Defense Intelligence James Clapper in 2007 to discuss elections. Please admit that you met with James Clapper, uh, the Undersecretary of Defense Intelligence in 2008 to discuss elections. Please admit that you have signed documents with the Department of Defense at the Pentagon or and or DARPA under purview and direction of the Undersecretary of Defense Intelligence James Clapper between 2000 seven and 2008 to discuss elections. See, these are the questions that they got sent. And then my, com then my, um, lawyer's computer got hacked because <laughs> then they're like, shit, he must have everything to ask very specific questions, very specific questions. So these were all questions that were sent to them. And um, it was quite interesting. You know, we were asking him for simple things like, you know, please admit that Jeff Hale is the director of Sizes Election Security Initiative has contacted you. Please admit, you know, some of this stuff is like, please admit your name. You know, please admit this. It's just a bunch of questions. Just asking questions for now. Just a little question.
So for me, I find that, um, you know, the, 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 the house being involved, uh, suddenly and, uh, claiming that they want to take it into federal court because that's where federal appointees go, um, is quite fascinating to me. Uh, it doesn't phase me at all because, you know, if God is with me, then who can be against me, right? <laughs> How do they win? They can't. So this is something that, um, you know, we're going to have to challenge and pull through. I mean, this uh, defamation case has been uh, actually quite really hard to um, uh, get through because it seems like nobody wants it to happen. And um, it will happen. It will happen. So now let's shift gears before I go because I'm going to make this short. Um, Russia is really turning up the heat. Uh, they had a uh, virtual meetings with um, China, reinforcing their great relationship and everything. But now it's coming down to the wire. See, they, NATO has promised that the Ukraine will be part of NATO. And Russia said, no, it's not. We are not going to allow Ukraine to be part of NATO. And so stress is high across Europe and the U.S., because Russia wants Ukraine denied entry to NATO as a condition of military de-escalation. All the while, while they're up there in the north talking all this and happening, Turkey is literally on life support. Like Erdogan is in the crosshairs. Like shit's about to go down. It's like seriously going to go down. And... Uh, the timing of things is just incredible because the minute you see Erdogan go down, right after that, you're going to see Putin go too. Russia is laying out demands for scaling back its military presence near the Ukraine border. The proposal includes not allowing Ukraine to join NATO and also asks U.S. to refrain from developing any military cooperation with former Soviet states that are not already in NATO. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said on Friday the administration has seen the proposal and is discussing next steps with European allies. The demands come as tensions rise in Eastern Europe. Ukraine officials are worried Russia is building up troops along its border in preparation for an attack. Moscow denies the claims and accuses Ukraine of the same. For more on this, we'd like to bring in CBS News intelligence and national security reporter Olivia Gazis. Olivia, great to see you. It appears hi, that hi. It appears that Russia is trying to use the threat of war to get compromises from NATO, and is Putin is Putin trying to reestablish Cold War era alignments? Well, so Russia and more specifically President Vladimir Putin are doing exactly what they do best and have a history of doing, which is playing geopolitical chess. The document that they published today lays out the sprawling and you could say very much brazen set of demands that, yes, would catapult us back several decades into the Cold War era. It's remarkable not only for what it contains, but because this is what should be closely held closed door diplomacy being flung out into the open by the Russians uh, in order to see what we do in response. So as you mentioned, among their demands are that the Ukrainians are never allowed to join NATO and that NATO membership is not extended to any other former Soviet countries, not establishing any military bases in any of those countries, and stopping all NATO military activities and drills near Russia. All of those demands are already complete non-starters for NATO, which has already said so, and for the U.S., uh, who say that the alliance's future is only going to be determined by NATO itself. So these demands are, in fact, so exorbitant that a lot of analysts are saying 
that they're crafted such that they fail and that Moscow has even more of a pretext to say, well, we tried. Diplomacy didn't work. So we're going to move ahead with our military incursion into Ukraine. So there are several NATO members or allies that border Russia or uh, its uh, sphere of influence. How would you say that this how would they be affected by these Russian demands? Sure. Well, the U.S. and NATO are both insisting that no member of this alliance or any other partners in Europe are go- that are going to be affected by these discussions are going to be excluded from the table. That very crucially includes Ukraine. Uh, a senior State Department official said today uh, made expressly clear that no talks on European security uh, are going to take place without European allies and partners participating. And again, the chances that Russia is going to get a written guarantee guaranteeing that NATO is uh, not going to expand is pretty much nil. Um, and in fact, both President Biden and NATO have said that if Russia does proceed with this military incursion into Ukraine, there's a significant chance that more troops are going to be move- moved into border countries like Poland, like Latvia, like Lithuania, right on Russia's border. Uh, so in addition, that's of course, in addition to crushing sanctions that the U.S. and the Europeans have been drafting together in the event that Russia does make a move. So the Biden administration says it's discussing parts of Russia's proposal with European allies. What are they looking at? Yes, the document that the Russians published today um, details demands related to other things like conventional arms control and nuclear arms control that goes beyond NATO and involves other international partners. So the senior State Department official who spoke today said that the U.S. is looking at how exactly to do that, how to structure the talks in a way that the right countries are at the table discussing the right issues. Interestingly, this official said that the U.S. and other countries are particularly interested in a immediate Christmas ceasefire and then a possible prisoner exchange and that those things are under active discussion. Uh, It sounds like the U.S. and its partners is going to get backed concretely on the Russian proposal sometime next week. So is Russia willing to make compromises and what kind of agreement would they be willing to settle on? I think the only person who knows the exact answer to this question is Vladimir Putin. Uh, It's possible, again, that the documents that they've put out today are an opening offer to initiate some kind of diplomatic talks, but they could be this flimsy throwaway promise that uh, diplomacy failed and Moscow now gets to move in militarily. We'll know for sure once the U.S. does get back to Russia and makes its move on the chessboard. Um, what is for sure is that the situation is still at a, roll- at a rolling boil. Uh, the Russians have not backed down militarily. They, militarily. they have escalated their rhetoric. And that's all despite the really intensive diplomacy that the U.S. has engaged in thus far. So uh, in other words, and in short, they're they're not backing down yet. Olivia Gaza. And they shouldn't back down yet. I'll tell you why. Not that I'm a Russia file or anything, right? But I'm going to show you a map. Let's see. <clears throat> Oops, wrong one. Give me a second. I shared the wrong tab because they're not telling you the whole story. All right, so let me zoom in. Give me a sec. All right, let me show you this map. So in front of you, as you can see, there's a map of Turkey. You see Turkey here. You see Ukraine is, this is Turkey. Ukraine is up north, directly north of Turkey, um, where the Black Sea flanks Turkey, Europe, Ukraine, Russia, and Georgia, right? And over here, you see Azerbaijan, right? <laughs> Azerbaijan. So they're right here, right? Russia's here. Ukraine's here. Turkey. Syria. Remember their port here. Now, what they're not telling you is what's going on over here, how there was a missile launched against Russia, and it came from over here. So it seems like NATO has been closing in from here, from here, 
and from here. So why? Because their end goal is this right here. You see, this piece of land is worth a shit ton. This piece of land allows railroads to freely flow from the east to the west and from the west to the east and then from Europe down to Africa, from China, right, down to Africa. They have no, <clears throat> well, obviously it would have to go through Iran, but that would be next steps, right? But this is key. As we know, Turkey is under fire right now. Their inflation is so high, they don't know what they're doing, right? The Seven Nation Army is coming up now. You're going to see this happening. Turkey is going to be coming in strong. How do I know this? Well, let me show you what the NATO, what NATO said to Russia before Russia made that threat. And it's not what they said, it's who they said it with. So as I showed you the map, right? I showed you Azerbaijan, which was the country that the FBI and, well, CIA slash FBI, whatever you want to call it, had Patrick Byrne go to to get Hillary to get a bribe. Remember that? Operation Snow Globe? They, this nation that's flanking the NATO chief, right? Look at his face. Look at his face. Look at his face. Now, I want you to listen to what's being said while he makes that face. Many years, uh, we had a ban on all intermediate range uh, weapons, uh, banning uh, also, of course, uh, uh, intermediate range missiles in uh, Europe. Uh, that was the INF Treaty agreed back in uh, 1987. Um, but we have now seen the demise of this treaty uh, because uh, Russia violated the treaty by deploying new intermediate-range nuclear-capable missiles in Europe. They have done that for many years. The proposal from Russia on a moratorium is not credible because we had a ban uh, and they violated that ban. So unless uh, uh, Russia in a verifiable uh, way destroys all its uh, SSC-8 missiles, which are those missiles that violated the INF Treaty, um, it is not credible when they now uh, propose a ban on something uh, they actually have already started to uh, deploy. Did you hear that? So there he is, Stalinberg, just standing there, right? NATO's like, yo, stand flanked by Azerbaijan, and the dude's like, damn, missile did come from this way, damn. So he's playing dumb. You saw his face, right? You saw his face. You saw his face, and he's like, yeah, we didn't shoot any missiles. Russia started it, so Russia needs to disarm, or else we're not disarming. So just so you get the whole picture, the 40-foot view, right? You've got them coming in from the south, up against Turkey, right? Um, you know, from the, from the east of Turkey, coming up from the south toward Russia, right? So they've got Armenia, Georgia, right? And they shot a missile. They, they fucked up. And so then they moved in with the Ukraine and he's like, nah, man, you're not taking hold of this shit because I've seen that movie before and it's not happening. So, you know, this is all happening while Turkey is collapsing right now. 
They are collapsing right now. So they're feeding you a bunch of shit telling you, oh, Russia is so bad. And it's like, wait a minute. Did you just like move up missiles though? You did shoot one and you're not supposed to have intermediate. He's like, yeah, you know, we had like a ban on those missiles, but you know, they had those missiles. And so they're telling us that we need to stop doing those missiles and putting them, even though we had a hold on them, but they have missiles. So, cause they have missiles, they need to take care of their missiles. Then maybe we'll talk. And it's like, stop, stop. So you know, Turkey's going down. They are going after Turkey hard. Guys, their inflation is insane. They're losing everything, right? They can't do anything. Turkey is under pressure. They have no food, no money. They're in complete turmoil. The The, the currency has been devalued and he's trying to stand on his own two feet. Russia can't help him because everyone's flanking Russia and then China's just sitting back like, yeah, you know, Russia, I got your back sort of. So it's, it's pretty insane. Um, what we are seeing. So I want you to see this report on Turkey before we go. So you can understand just how bad it is for Erdogan. To Turkey now, where President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has pressed ahead with a widely criticized plan to cut its key interest rate for a fourth time in a row. This as Turkey's currency, the lira, hits a new all-time low against the U.S. dollar. Erdogan hopes his move will bring down inflation, which has seen the cost of basic goods soar, and many people struggle to make ends meet. DW correspondent Yulia Han has this report from Istanbul. The only food Hayriya Çelik can prepare for her family is eggs and tomatoes. She can't afford more, and sometimes she can't even afford that. We have to save on bread now because it has become so expensive. Sometimes I go to bed hungry. I don't eat, so at least my children won't starve. The Çeliks have an income of roughly 3,000 Turkish liras a month from Hayriye's husband's job. That's the equivalent of around 180 euros. It has always been very little money for a family of four. But now it's no longer enough to make ends meet. Food prices and the cost of electricity, heating and water have soared so much that Hayriya is struggling to pay her bills. I have debts everywhere. By the end of the month, all our money is gone and we have nothing left. Hayriya Çelik is not alone. Double-digit inflation and a crashing currency are turning the incomes and savings of millions of Turks to dust. The lira has lost 50% of its value since the beginning of the year, more than almost any other currency. Discontent is growing. In recent weeks, demonstrators took to the streets in Istanbul and Ankara. They called for the government to resign. Many lay the blame for Turkey's currency crisis on President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Every time he pressures the country's central bank and calls for interest rate cuts, the lira plummets even further. Economists warn inflation is spiraling out of control, and Turkish consumers are the ones who literally have to pay the price. I just paid 200 liras, but only got a few kilograms of fruit, a pack of eggs and one kilo of cheese. That's shameful. Those in power say that they have a plan for our country, but I don't see it. We ordinary people are suffering. I just want to get out of Turkey. 
I don't see a future here. The economy is very bad. Inflation is way too high. But President Erdogan holds the unconventional view that lower interest rates fight inflation. And despite the lira crashing, shows no sign of changing his position. What we're doing might be politically very risky, but it's the right plan for our country and our nation. Hayriye Çelik doesn't know much about interest rates and inflation. She says she has no way of knowing which plan is the right one. But one thing she knows for sure, with money that is worth less and less, she can't provide for her family. So let's get more on this story from Jan Selçuki. He is an analyst at the Edom think tank in Istanbul, Turkey. A warm welcome, Jan. We're seeing a surge in inflation around the world right now, but almost nowhere as dramatically as in Turkey. Why is that? Uh, well, a couple of reasons, because, uh, you know, Turkey is diverging significantly uh, in its uh, policy choice, uh, in its monetary policy choice uh, when it comes to dealing with these, you know, macroeconomic issues. I think that's number one uh, reason why uh, the inflation uh, surge in, in Turkey is quite different and significant than uh, elsewhere in the world. And there's different policy choices. Critics say that President Erdogan is putting pressure on his country's central bank and replacing his finance ministers is only making things worse. Can you explain his strategy? Uh, well, first of all, uh, President Erdogan and his current uh, economic management team has a fundamental, fundamentally believe that uh, you know, high interest rates uh, cause uh, inflation uh, rather than, you know, uh, conventional, uh, what conventional wisdom tells us, which is the vice versa. Now, this new economic model uh, that has been introduced uh, aims to, uh, you know, uh, aims at lower interest rates, a depreciated lira, in order to boost uh, exports, uh, you know, boost the construction sector and uh, the tourism sector uh, in an attempt to close the current account deficit, whereby, uh, you know, the, the cash problem of Turkey will be resolved and that uh, surplus will go into investment uh, and which will, you know, uh, value the lira uh, and bring down inflation, which, you know, many economists, uh, including myself, uh, find rather a difficult uh, path uh, towards uh, lowering inflation. Indeed, we saw in our report just now how prices for food and energy have soared to the point where even middle-income families are struggling. Uh, after years of what has been progress in Turkey in reducing poverty, is it fair to say that Erdogan's policies are reversing those hard-earned gains? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, right now, look, Turkey has been uh, experiencing macroeconomic uh, issues since August 2018. And we are almost entering our third year whereby Turkey has double-digit unemployment and double-digit inflation. So the household, middle-income and lower-income, and also, you know, the entire households, I would say, are experiencing a continued loss of revenue as well as continued uh, loss of purchasing power. Right now, the volatility is at a point where uh, producers are finding it, uh, for, of goods and services, are finding it very difficult to price uh, their products. I mean, at the retail level, uh, you know, prices are set uh, almost on a daily basis and longer term trade has almost uh, come to a stop because, uh, you know, it's very difficult for uh, traders to to price their, um, their inputs 
uh, and their and that and their final products. Now, I want everyone to see um, how this works. George Soros deployed. They're trying to take out Turkey from the inside. They're going to influx the refugees coming up in the next couple of weeks, coming in from Syria. Uh, that's going to be pressured. The U.S. is going to uh, get really forceful because they're not protecting the borders. Uh, obviously, Russia will have to jump in. So Russia is going to be fighting on three fronts. I think I said that in 2018. They've got three fucking fire fronts. And then in the end, I'm going to tell you, Russia is just going to come in from the north and just crush it all. And that is how it's going to happen. These people all have ball caps and expensive signs and all organized. You all know this, this movie. You've seen it before. You come in uh, from the inside and you destroy it. This is something that we are going to revisit next week uh, toward, uh, you know, like uh, right before Christmas. It's going to be pretty insane. We should be praying for the whole world. These bankers are in, you know, they're just really upset. President Trump threw a wrench into everything. He went really quick on putting out vaccines, which then they weaponized again. But everything you weaponize for evil will turn back as a boomerang. And you are watching it. You may not be able to see it, but you must know his ways and not his words. On that note, in breaking news, the Sixth Circuit dissolved the Fifth Circuit stay in the OSHA mandate. So um, we'll talk about that next week because it is Friday. So as you know, I'm in uh, the Sixth Circuit case. So we're going to see how that, what that means and how that pans out. Um, so on that note, I want you guys to take this video and this song into careful consideration once again please pay attention to the video if you can see it for those of you that are listening to me on podcast the words are just the same but if you can go and look on youtube tom mcdonald's cloned rappers video please pay attention to it on that note guys god bless you have a great weekend i'll see you next week yeah the Illuminati knows the answers, taking bone samples to clone rappers. With the artists in prison to silence their vision, genetic copies going home after. They look different, eyes shifted, smile missing, skin lifted, it's scientific. If they can't control you, they erase the old, you get your duplication to enforce their message. They clone Gucci, clone Kodak, clone Eminem, he ain't raps his encore, know that. Cloning rappers when they overdose to keep making money from producing more tracks. The game is a sham, turning the artists who challenge to sacrificial lambs. The labels and devils are shaking hands, creating our artists and labs. The Executions have been televised, oh, they're on TMZ like a night. They take our heroes, give us weaponized clones. The revolution won't be televised. I can't be replicated. Copy the attitude and the chains, but no one will ever do me the same. I can't be replicated. Try to control me, then guess again. Rebellion and lifted my DNA. I can't be replicated Duplicated Imitated Fabricated Eliminated No, I can't be replicated The system designed me to be a slave I'm the pitch in the matrix that can't escape I can't be replicated
If they killed the rappers who were spitting truth, they wouldn't have a messenger to reach the youth. So they duplicate physically, implant abilities, replicate tattoos and cloning facilities. Indie contracts say worldwide. Label contracts say universal. For all of time and all forms, they own all your music, your image, your name, and your person. <laughs> Weird, right? I know you don't think that is facts, but for 50,000 and a hair sample, you can clone your dog or your dying cat. It's another way for them to win the war by weaponizing important celebrities. Don't kill your foes, just clone their gods. Then you'll control all your enemies. The executions have been televised, though They're on TMZ like every night They take our heroes, give us weaponized clones The revolution won't be televised I can't be replicated Copy the attitude and the chains But no one will ever do me the same I can't be replicated Try to control me, then guess again Rebellion lives in my DNA I can't be replicated Duplicated, imitated, fabricated, eliminated No, I can't be replicated the system designed me to be a slave I'm the glitch in the matrix that can't escape I can't be replicated You can see the difference in their face now Casualties of money and the fame Posing for the cameras with their fake smiles a clone of someone who they used to be. I can't be replicated. Copy the attitude and the chains, but no one will ever do me the same. I can't be replicated.